0: This is the Baymaw Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we wrap up our verse-by-verse trademark journey through the book of Romans and look back to see Paul's big argument buried in this brilliant letter. Love it.
1: Romans 14, one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. I know I say that all the time, but it is. Some of these chapters rise to the top. This is one of them. I think it's uh, some of the most practical instruction that I've read in the teachings of Paul, for uh, I, I mean today, like it's the most practical instruction for us today. And it's probably because of how it resonates with just my own mentality, my own psychological makeup, but I love it
0: nonetheless. So Brent, how about you start us off here? Get us into Romans 14. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt. The one who does not... And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand.
1: Right, so first of all, let's just deal with this phrase, uh, weak and strong. Because I used to teach this kind of, um, I would give the wrong impression because of the way that word works in the English. Um, when we hear weak faith, we think, oh, weak faith, and then there's somebody with strong faith. Um, the words here in the Greek need to like imply more to... I don't know how to describe it Brent help me find the words here it's not like somebody is strong and somebody's weak in their faith it's that one's per one person's faith is acute and narrow it's smaller and not, by smaller i don't mean weaker i mean my faith a person with weak faith would say my faith allows 3 units of faithfulness and then there's somebody with strong faith and they would say Well, my faith allows for 10 units of faithfulness. It's somebody that, somebody has faith that says it's, that sees more freedom. It's a wider scope. It's a wider breadth. And some people have faith that is weak, but it's not weak. It's narrower. It's smaller. Maybe we would say it's narrower but deeper, and the other person is wider and sh- that's probably totally unfair. But you get the idea. It's not a strong and weak, a positive and a negative. Do you have anything to
0: add to that, Brent? Can you make that any better? We, we've we put a lot of words into it. There you I go. feel like that conveys the idea of what you're trying to get across.
1: All right, yeah. When you read it, don't feel like, well, the strong people, well, they got it. And the weak people, well, they're missing it. No, that's, that's not what the Greek is. That's what Paul's trying to convey. It's not what the Greek says here.
0: And it's not even necessarily a... Uh, uh, like a more evolved or a more mature faith necessarily. It's just a different, different approach.
1: Yeah, absolutely. 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 Yes. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's not that somebody who is more mature is going to be strong. You might have somebody who's more mature that would land in the weak camp here. So, so just don't let the English words trip you up there. Second of all, there are apparently matters of gray in our faith. Despite the fact that many would have us believe everything fits uh, into uh, neat black and white categories, Paul clearly says here that there are things uh, that he calls disputable matters. For some of us, this teaching alone is hard to swallow, but if we think about it, our own lives show this to be true, and we know it, like life is complex, it's not... It's not just black and white. There are things that are black and white. We're not saying that there aren't black and white things, but apparently for Paul, there are things. Things exist. How long that list is? We could all argue about, but there are things that make a list of gray, disputable matters. Third, Paul describes a world where there are two dominant camps. And not to oversimplify things, but merely as a means of example, he describes two distinct camps. One camp wants to abstain from, from these disputable things. Another camp wants to live in their freedom to engage the disputable things. Does this sound familiar? Of course it does. This is our world. This is our Christian world. This is our evangelical world. We find ourselves locked in morality wars over whether we should do something or not even touch it with a 10 foot pole. This has been the fodder for many a relevant magazine article. Uh, yes.
0: But Paul's ruling, I thought you said, I thought you called it irrelevant magazine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. I, I have enjoyed many articles I've read from there. I will cease from making any other jokes. Paul's ruling is the one who lives out of their freedom must not look down on the one who abstains. And the one who abstains must not judge the one who does not. Following this one paragraph of scripture, would change the entire tone of our church universally, in my opinion. I know that I myself stand convicted first and foremost. Go ahead and read us the next little part, Brent.
0: One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So listen, we make the decisions that we
1: make, hopefully, because of our convictions and our desires to serve the Lord. Like, if a person abstains, hopefully we're making that decision because... We're trying to serve the Lord, and if the person engages in the thing, hopefully we're making that decision because we're trying to serve the Lord. And either camp doesn't understand the other one; we both think the other one's doing it wrong. But we're we're making both of those decisions because of what we believe about who God is and what God's asking us to do. Yet this isn't just about us as individuals and our opinions. This is about others and those around us. This is about how we treat one another. Most importantly. This is about us and God. No matter what decision we make and where we land in the larger conversation, this is about walking out our faith well with the support of and then the company of those around us, whether we eat or drink, whether we live or die, we do it all unto the Lord. This isn't about a morality code. This isn't about being right. This is about our sacrifice of worship that we talked about with Paul
0: earlier. Go ahead and read us the next a little bit. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So, what about Paul's
1: question? Why do we pass judgment on our fellow brothers and sisters when we're all just trying to do our best? I think there are some great answers to these questions, but I will leave that to the psychologists and the sociologists, and I will recognize it as being beyond the scope of this conversation and my expertise. I do know from life experience that tearing others down gives us a false feeling of being built up. However, if we have learned how to trust the story, yes, as we've said a hundred times before in this series, It allows us to stop worrying about ourselves and enables us to worry about others. This might sound a little bit like Abram, Avram in session one. If we are worried about others more than ourselves, we would strive to help others toward their own success. Like Avram said to Lot, you choose, you pick, Lot. You're you're the first. I'll I'll let you go first. You pick which land you want. We would work hard not to put a stumbling box in front of others that would have tripped them up in their pursuit of offering their lives as an act of worship
0: to God. Brent, read us some more. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean.
1: What? How could that be true? (laughs) So Paul says he's fully persuaded that nothing is unclean, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Isn't it just at like us Greek platonic thinkers, isn't it just clean or unclean? Doesn't it just kind of exist in this? But no, 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 no. Apparently for Paul, apparently this is out people's conscience. Go ahead, Brent. I interrupted you.
0: I mean, that's kind of your MO. It is what I do. (laughs) If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Please notice that this
1: stumbling block, quote unquote, conversation, the stumbling block conversation has too often been co-opted by the abstinence crowd mentioned above. In our day and age of of pop Christianity, the stumbling block has become a buzzword used to justify our evangelical morality codes. That is not what Paul speaks of here. What's like an example of that? Uh, so, so let's take the alcohol thing, right? Well, can I drink or can I not drink? And people will use the... Stumbling block argument, the abstinence crowd, we use a stumbling block argument to see, like, you, you can't be of the strong faith crowd. You're not allowed to be of the strong faith crowd because stumbling blocks, right? Is that good? Is that good? Yeah. 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 Uh, that's not what Paul speaks of here. He speaks of making sure that our lifestyle and decisions have an awareness of the people around us and a desire to help them enter and experience the kingdom of God. So it is true that for the strong, weak crowd... They wouldn't put a stumbling block in front of their weak faith brother because they're looking out for their weak faith brother. But nor would the weak faith brother take their judgment and now make it a stumbling block for their strong faith brother. That stumbling block goes both ways because a stumbling block is not about... The issue at hand, the stumbling block that Paul refers to, has nothing to do with the disputable matter itself. It has everything to do with how we're treating each other in these disputable matters. Man, do we miss the point so many times. Go ahead, Brent. Read us some more.
0: Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So Paul says at the end of the
1: day, these disputable matters, we, we all have to do what we are convicted is the best decision. If we feel like doing something is wrong, we ought to not do it. And apparently, according to this teaching, if we do engage it, it has become sin because we are acting against our conscience and what we believe is best. So it doesn't even matter on some abstract. What we're convicted of becomes, for Paul, in these disputable matters, in these disputable matters, not elsewhere, in these disputable matters, what we are convicted of becomes our truth. It's not some blanket relativity that is in these issues. When there's up for debate and we have a conviction, if we step outside of that conviction, we are in sin. We have to follow the convictions we hold between ourselves and God. But we also have to make sure we help others do the same. And guys, that's the whole point of Paul's teaching here. We have to make sure we help others hold to their convictions. My conviction is not the foremost thing I'm worried about. I have to have my conviction. I have to live by my conviction. But even more important is I have to help others live by their convictions. We cannot impose our convictions in these disputable matters onto others. We have to be concerned about their pursuit of God who loves and accepts. Earlier, Paul said that if this God justifies, then who can condemn? And the answer was? No one. Nobody can condemn. Woe to us if we become the condemner. If God is the one who justifies, who are we to condemn? And why in the world should people experience condemnation because of matters that are as silly as food and drink, holidays and hobbies, entertainment, and let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. All right. So Paul continues this last train of thought into this closing chapter. No, we're not closing yet. We're in Romans 15. I'm trying to skip a whole chapter, Brent. (laughs)
0: Can't do that in a verse by verse. Can't do that. Trademark. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. All right. This is the
1: way of Jesus, this looking out for others first. This is what the way of Jesus looks like. As we wrap up this letter of Romans, be prepared for a mess as I try to cover a lot of ground and do a lot of little ideas that are going to get all thrown in here at the end. Uh, all these ideas kind of appear in Paul's concluding comments. Throughout the conclusion of this letter, Paul's going to continue to break out into benedictory praises. I love that. Benedictory. Little benedictions of exhortation and encouragement to the church in Rome. Go and read this first one here, Brent.
0: May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: All right. So Paul then addresses what I consider to be the big practical point in context (laughs) for the readers. Having directed most of this letter to the Jewish believers in Rome, Paul reiterates the whole point of this argument. If we are all justified by faith, the Jewish believers ought to work hard to accept their Gentile brothers and sisters. Go ahead and read us some more, Brent.
0: Got a lot of quotes, a lot of uh, potential... uh... Context that that uh, listeners can dig into.
1: A lot of I hear you saying. Well, maybe, maybe. No, well,
0: we have the tools. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. So that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: All right, so before launching into another benediction, Paul very intentionally chooses to quote four different passages that speak of the mystery Rome is experiencing. That mystery is this, the Gentiles are coming to worship the God of Israel. Paul points out yet again that this is what God has always been up to, and they are part of it. What I love about the quotations that Paul chooses here is that they speak to both groups. The Jews are reminded of God's plan, proclaimed by the prophets, to have the Gentiles in worship next to them. At the same time, the Gentiles have an opportunity to realize that they, quote, rejoice in the company of his people. Paul then tells them that he believes that they can and do understand this and that they are capable of partnering with God in his mission. He also says that it is this very mission that he has been called to, and this is his life's passion. Read us some more, Brent.
0: I like that uh, all of the all of the quotations represent the entire Tanakh. You've got Samuel, you've got Deuteronomy, oh, yeah, you've got the great. Psalms, and you've got Isaiah.
1: Absolutely. Wonderful point. I love that. Yep.
0: It's like God's been doing the same story the whole time or something. The whole time. What? What? <laughs> I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Okay, now I want to interrupt you here. I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to... Uh, I, I, I am myself convinced, my brothers and
1: sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and, and, and what's that phrase? Competent
0: to instruct one another.
1: Competent to, what a statement. Because there's one group that we know is competent to instruct the other. Who is that? Which, which group is competent to the instruct? The Jews are competent. They Absolutely. know the text. Yeah. But, but he doesn't say, he's saying to both groups, you're competent to instruct one another. So apparently Paul believes that the Gentiles are competent to instruct the Jews about something. That's this blended family. That's the that's the vision from Romans 1 finally coming together here at the end of the letter. Okay, go ahead.
0: Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you.
1: And it's this very calling that has kept him from coming to visit the people of Rome. God has kept Paul quite busy helping lead this church through a very difficult transition in Asia and Asia Minor. But then Paul works towards some closing thoughts about his plans and his salutations. Go ahead and read us the next big chunk there.
0: But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there, For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ." I urge you brothers and sisters by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen.
1: All right. So, uh, pretty straightforward there. So, uh, Paul goes to close with a list of all the people to greet in Rome. so say hi to a bunch of people here. Let's go ahead and listen to that.
0: So, question on that: when yeah. he says when he says Amen at the end of chapter fifteen, why, yeah. why is that not the end of the letter? Like, what? I feel like maybe there's like a nuance of the word Amen that I'm not understanding. Uh, yeah, no,
1: it's a good question. Um, typically, the letters will end with that typical salutation at the very end. My, you know, grace and peace of Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Um, so, in, in this case, this is I, I don't know if I would call it a benediction in the same way that we've seen. Maybe other benedictions just in the chapter prior that kind of begin with the, uh, um, uh, may you, may you, may you. And a lot of this is just Paul saying, may I, I urge you, brother and sisters. But it is kind of a statement where Paul's kind of giving the Romans here a charge. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in this struggle. Pray, pray for me, pray for me. Do all this stuff. May, uh, this, is his, this is his challenge. This is his charge. Amen. And it's this expression, amen, may it be so, is what amen means, you know, may it be so.
0: I guess so maybe in our modern context, we're used to someone saying something and then the people hearing it respond with amen. Sure. But but he's just confirming his own message, yeah, essentially.
1: Yeah, absolutely, in a sense, yep. Yeah. Same same expression coming from his own self there,
0: yep. All right, chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincreia. Oh, man, this is going to be...
1: Yeah, sure. He got all the names. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm just sitting back here.
0: I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epenetus who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been imprisoned with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachis. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. That's a quite a That's name a for name. a Jew. Yep. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Another great name. Yeah. Greet uh, Tryphina and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with him. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I wonder if when Paul says, greet so-and-so and his sister like did he forget the sister's name like hey she like had some cool ideas <laughs> but i didn't quite catch the name like i wonder, I wonder oh, what that's man. about
1: <laughs> who knows human like all of us <laughs> now i'm far from an expert who could speak on these things i have no desire to stir the pot Mort was the expression we said the other day though the one who stirs the pot has to lick the spoon oh the one who yeah stirs the i pot forgot has about to that lick yeah the spoon I don't want to stir the pot any more than not to be stirred. It's far beyond the scope of uh, what we're doing here in the podcast. We have a lot of different listeners from a lot of different traditions and backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. But one of my favorite things about the closing of the letter of Romans is the list of people that Paul greets. For many of us, we have been given the impression that Paul is very anti women. It was if we were raised in a good fundamentalist church, you're we all taught conservative. Paul's very clear on the place that women have in the church, I would Venture to say that in the last few months, this has been a topic of some discussion uh, amongst some believers. Good old Beth Moore out there doing her thing. Anyway, uh, this uh, list tells me quite the contrary. Paul's not anti-women. This list, at least half of the names listed here are women, many of whom Paul addresses as fellow workers deacons and ministers one of them greatest among the apostles junia who the church by the way tried to cover up her female name if you do the research uh they just changed the name to junius totally arbitrarily to to make it male uh no reason no manuscript evidence no just an absolute ecclesiological cover-up there so uh just just something to note We, we haven't debunked any of the other passages about women remaining silent or any of those things. We may or we may not get there. We'll see. Uh, but, but as we go through Romans here, we need to realize that Paul has actually put a lot, uh, one, one woman is his benefactor. Um, there's a, a greatest among the apostles. Uh, there are deacons. There are, uh, people that are leading churches. Uh, we're all going to argue about what that means, um, but there are lots of women here that are working. Paul has very much put uh, women to work in Rome. Now, I uh, I can't imagine that he's putting them to work and being like, no, you're not allowed to say anything.
0: Just work. You have to remain silent.
1: That's uh, an interesting thing to wrestle with here.
0: And not only are they working, but he specifically says they work hard. Yes. Or very hard. Yes.
1: Yes, absolutely. So just make some observations. We always love to cling to the verses that support our view. So one group is going to cling to, like, the list in Romans 16 and ignore some of the other passages. The other people are just going to quote those other passages as, like, the Bible clearly teaches, but then, like, okay, but what do you do about this? Like, how is how are those things true and this list also true? Like, does Paul not even obey his own teaching? What's going on there?
0: So, okay. Talk about the idea of a blended family, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jews and Gentiles, men and women. Yeah. Like, it, the the only, it's like, are they working hard? Uh, is their fidelity to Christ standing the test? Like, it's just, are are you on the team or not? Yep. And it doesn't matter who you are. Right. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, we'll probably deal with this some more. We're just planting some seeds here. Yeah. Although Paul will write some instructions to other churches, like Corinth or Timothy and in Ephesus, instructions we love to wave around and trumpet in the conservative evangelical church, talking about the place of women in leadership, it's clear from this passage that Paul is either incredibly schizophrenic or there must be more to the context of these conversations. Could it be that the context of each particular letter drives the conversation within its instructions? However, one thing we can say at this point is that Paul is no stranger or opponent to working alongside of women in the church. Before offering some final salutations, Paul utters one last exhortation towards unity. Go ahead, Brent.
0: I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: So Paul is serious about this idea of one family, one body, one community of God's people that shows the world what God is like. A proper understanding of the love, salvation, and justification of God is what enables us to find unity with one another. So, 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 theology matters. Theology matters. So, so, before we close off uh, Romans, and I have a particular way I want to do that. Um, we also had something we wanted to show you in your presentation. We had a presentation. You were like, you all forgot about the present. No, we didn't forget. We're here to do it. Here's a fun thing about Romans. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Romans is a. What do you think it is, Brent? Chiasm. It's a chiasm, yes, it is, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. So we have a presentation that walks you through the whole thing. And we're going to start with the bookends. Now, in the Greek, uh, they don't. There, how how do I need to say this? In the Greek, there is such a thing as chiasmus. There is such a thing as inverted parallelisms. But in the Greek, when you find bookends, we used to find inverted parallelisms. In the Greek, they're called inclusios. Uh, Now, an inclusio will sometimes be a chiasm. But it's not always a chiasm. In the Greek, the, the idea of these bookends forms what they will call an inclusio. And sometimes the inclusio is not inverted. It's not parallelism. It doesn't have any chiastic properties. Um, but it, it does bracket an argument. Like we'll, we'll see in another Bible book to be seen later. We'll see that there's another Bible book that actually has a portion of the book as an inclusio and then the closing chapters. And what that will tell you is actually the author says you really have to understand this before you move on to this. You need to understand the inclusio first before you close um, because that has everything to do with this. But in this case, all of Romans is an inclusio. At the very beginning of the book, there was this really awkward, weird phrase, the obedience of faith. Now, we just kind of read that, oh, it's Bible language. That's a weird phrase though, obedience of faith, like obedience of faith. Like aren't those two things kind of like opposed to each other? Like the whole Protestant idea of faith, that's kind of like different from obedience because obedience is more like works and faith and works are always like the phrase obedience of faith is a weird phrase, only shows up twice in all the Bible. And it shows up at the beginning and at the very end of Romans, a clear sign of, What we have here is some form of inclusio. There are your brackets. Now, this happens to be, not all of them are, but this one happens to be a chiasm. And so, the center, we're actually gonna, we're actually gonna blow the cover on our chiasm here. We're gonna do the center first. So, the center of the chiasm is, if you haven't jumped ahead to that next slide yet, what do you think? What do you think? Think about uh, Romans. There's how many chapters in Romans, Brent? 16. 16, somewhere around the eight, eight or nine area. Something big happened around eight. Oh, Romans eight, eight verse one. Really big verse there, Romans eight verse one. There's now, therefore, next slide. If you go to the next slide, no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Whoa, that's a big deal. That's the center of the chiasm. If this whole story is about Jew and Gentile, this blended family, figuring out how to get along. Well, that's the obedience of faith, the obedience of faith that Paul's talking about. It's this blended family, family, being a gospel centered family, spiritual family. And the, the whole point that's going to, everything's going to rest on an understanding of how there's no condemnation, not for the Jew, not for the Greek, not for the moralist, not for the person that's a horrible pagan. There's no condemnation for people in Christ Jesus. And if that's true, then there's no us and them. There's no greater or lesser. There's no I'm party A and you're party B. It's just all of us together because there's no condemnation. So that's your—but watch how the chiasm actually works. So the next slide here shows you the front part of the chiasm, Romans 1 through 7— is going to be showing us what obedience is not in some sense. What obedience is not. It's not earning it. It's not wages. It's not works anyone should boast. It's not It's not a standard and keeping some standard because we all fail. It's not the struggle of sin. But then the back half of the chiasm is what obedience is. So the front part is what obedience is not. No condemnation in the center of the chiasm. And the back half of the chiasm ends up being what obedience is. Is so now. Let's take a look at the levels. So the first level there, uh, on the front part, Romans one through three, you're going to have all fall short. But at the back part, we said that all can instruct. Remember that that was something we talked about today, right, Brent? Yeah. This idea that anybody we you all can instruct each other. Well, it started with you all fall short, but it ends with well you all can instruct. Okay. What about the next layer here? All right. So so all you do is trust. That's all you do, um, and on the back half, well, all you do is love. Trust leads to love. If we all fall short, we can all instruct. If all you do is trust, then all that's left to do is love, and then that last level there, you have the struggle of flesh, and on the other side, the struggle of clay. So on, on the on the on the front half, it's the struggle of the sinful flesh, the sarks what obedience is not. On the back half, it's like what obedience is, and it, and it is the struggle of the clay, this tension of, but God shouldn't, God should make vessels for destruction. He shouldn't like bear with great patience vessels made for destruction. Like what? So you have struggle, struggle, you have trust, love, you have all falling short, all can instructing. And the whole point of this whole thing is because there's no condemnation, this is what the obedience of faith is looks like. I don't know if I taught that very well, but that is a cool, that is a stinking cool chiasm. And, uh, it was hard not to, uh, teach on that for our entire Roman series and wait till the very end. But I felt like the content of Romans verse by verse was so important to go through. And now we get to look back and we get to appreciate what's taking place in the inclusio. Mm. So good, such good stuff. So I want to close with those closing words of Paul Brent already read them. I want to read them again because they're a great closing here. Paul's last benediction. We'll close out our study to Romans here. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. In keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience of of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. All right, we have thus concluded the book of Romans verse by verse. We are now I guess prepared for your questions. <laughs> if we if we left anything untouched, let us know. There you go. And uh, and we'll try to try to dig into that. Hopefully hopefully there won't be too many of those questions. Hopefully we covered everything yeah. in a satisfactory way, but yeah. And all those things you want
1: to disagree with us on? That's cool. Yeah. I want to reiterate, you can disagree with us. We are not uh, the people in charge. We don't come down the mountain with special truth. Uh, You can disagree with us. You can disagree with me about women and you can have all those things. And you don't have to like email me and clear all that stuff up because I get a lot of emails because there's a lot of listeners. So uh, you you don't feel like you have to like make sure that I agree with you because I probably don't and that's okay. It's okay. It's okay to disagree with me.
0: And, uh... Keep learning. Keep thinking critically. It's okay. Marty can be wrong. Perhaps if you're looking for a place to wrestle through this with ah, some other listeners, there we go. You could join the bayma Slack.
1: That's the right place to do it. Yes. And I'm not saying that. Bill, I, I love all of you. Your emails are great. I am getting to a place where I don't know what to do with all of them anymore. Uh, I, I, I am having a hard time responding to all of them.
0: Marty is lurking on Slack, though. So you know,
1: I'm lurking every now and then. You see me put up a little emoticon something or something. There. Yeah. Know.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the BAMO podcast. We will talk to you again soon uh, with 1 Corinthians coming up next.